All right. Welcome back to another episode of Empowerment with Elizabeth. Today, I'm here with Sweet Brooke from the Miss Arkansas organization, um, and she is going to talk to us a little bit about agriculture. So, Brooke, if you want to just give us a quick intro or bio about yourself. Yeah, perfect. Hi, friends. My name is Brooke Bradford. I grew up in rural, small town Arkansas, but now I'm a student at the University of Arkansas. I'm studying agricultural communications and leadership with minors in event management and journalism. So I'm a little bit all over the place, but I love to tell people that my greatest passion is just to be a storyteller for the agriculture industry and the farmers, ranchers, and producers that work every day to provide enough fuel, fiber, food, and shelter to sustain the world. So that's what I'm excited to talk about today. It's on my, the focus of my platform, um, the focus of my degree path, my honors research at the University of Arkansas, all the things. So I didn't grow up around ag, but I'm now a self-proclaimed big ag girl. So here we are. I love it. I love it. That was a fantastic elevator speech. <laughs> I'm like taking notes over here. You're perfect. Um, <laughs> so tell me what got you interested in agriculture, because you said you didn't grow up around it. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about what got you interested in ag and then also why you chose to make it your CSI or platform for my non-pageant people. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I grew up in small town rural Arkansas. So I joked there were like cows across the street, like quite literally could see them from my living room window. Um, But I was the kid that if you told me chocolate milk came from a brown cow, I'd believe it. And I really just didn't have an understanding of our food system um, or or where food comes from or just how integral it is uh, in providing not only or the agriculture system is not only in providing food, but all of the things that we need to cover the basic necessities of life. And in the eighth grade, I had a blank on my schedule. Like I said, small town, um, there were a hundred people in my graduating class, had a blank on my schedule. And my counselor, who was one of my best friend's moms, um, asked me what I wanted to do. And my options were study hall or ag. And I grew up doing pageants and dance and modeling and playing softball. And I was like the ultimate girly girl. So I was like, ugh, ag, why would I do that? Um, but I'm also an Enneagram three, so I'm a doer. I'm a gold on the personality test or protagonist. Like I love a to-do list. I want to get things done. So the thought of sitting every day for study hall in 40 for 45 minutes sounded awful. And I was like, there's not another option. And she was like, no. And so then she, um, continued to kind of explain ag to me and really just encouraged me to try it. She's like, give me one semester. And if you hate it, we'll drop it semester and you can do study hall, but they're really um, involved in leadership. They're really involved in like growing students. There's a ton of opportunities to travel, to earn scholarship dollars, to compete. She knew I was competitive. She was like, so just try it. And I was very reluctant, but I said, okay, I'll give it, I'll give it a shot one semester and um, (laughs) joined, joined my eighth grade ag class. And that is an introduction to ag class where our ag teachers really just said like, this is how ag impacts the world. This is what FFA is and what it does for students. And here's how those two things intersect and can intersect in your life. And I pretty much immediately fell in love. They took me to national convention October of that semester. So I'd only been in ag for like three months and got to go to national convention and saw for the first time kind of on a national scale what agriculture looks like. Um, and realized that it was a lot more than just cows, sows, and plows, and really learned to value the way that it impacted people's lives every single day. I say I grew up knowing that I wanted to change the world. Like, I always believed in my ability to do that, but could never tell you how I was going to do it or or where it was going to happen. 
But it was like the second I got involved in FFA and ag, I saw that there was an opportunity to change the world and feeding people. Um, and I knew how relevant that was to everyone. And so I pretty much just fell in love. I was so bought in and I've never looked back since. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> and that literally perfectly takes us into my next question for you, which yeah. is partially selfish because- no. Please ask uh, platform food insecurity. Please but you ask. talked about feeding and how that is quite literally majority of um, the job of the agriculture industry. Mm -hmm. So talk about the overlaps between mm -hmm. agricultural agriculture and food insecurity. Yeah, I think first and foremost, like we all recognize, food is a product or is a result of ag. It's a production of the agriculture industry. Um, people need food to survive. I think. One of the biggest things I think about when we use the word food or like the, the phrase food insecurity and then ag together is I think a lot of people think the reason people are food insecure is because there isn't enough food, that it's a quantity issue. What I think is a really important part of conversations when we talk about the ag industry is to recognize it isn't always a quantity issue. There's a ton of food. We produce a ton of food as the agriculture industry, like built trillions like so much food we export so much food like we are part of the reason not just america is fed but like the world is fed every single day and so i think it's really important for us to kind of change our mindset and look at issues of infrastructure and in issues of accessibility um when i think about the deeper rooted issues of food insecurity it has to do with food deserts it has to do with access to fresh produce um it has to do with food systems not just existing on a national or international level, but existing regionally amongst states and, and then individually amongst cities. Um, and so that's the biggest part of conversations I like to have when it comes to food insecurity is to know like the reason people are hungry isn't because farmers aren't doing enough. It's because as a society, we haven't built systems to successfully leverage the work that farmers do so that it can be accessible to people on an everyday basis. I love that. Could not have said it better myself. That, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so hard it's a hard issue to talk about because here's the deal I, I can't give you a solution I don't know an infrastructure solution that answers this problem but I think even just making more people aware of like what the true problem is is a huge part of the conversation and um, food systems are something I talk about so extensively I, I use the example of COVID a lot of people didn't even know what a food system was until COVID happened and then all of a sudden there were shelves in grocery stores that were empty and they didn't understand why um, and it's because of the logistical food system that exists both in America and internationally um, and the way that we depend completely on those national and international food systems for the food supply chain. Um, and it raised real flags about the way food supply chains are built in America and, and how we can can break those down and create more regional and local food systems and food chains and teach consumers how to be more reliant on local and regional food systems and food chains to support really just a stronger and more diverse food system. Um, and I love to tell people like it, you may laugh and people are like, Oh, go to the farmer's market. But like, that's a local food system. And, and that is increasing people's accessibility to local produce. Um, it's increasing profits for local farmers and creating new business ventures um, and really just the economy of Arkansas agriculture. And then if you think about it on a regional system, you know, there may be a mom and pop grocery store and like the Piggly Wiggly or, cash shaver or whatever and like it's easy to like laugh and be like wait where's that from but for a lot of small towns for a lot of small rural communities not only in Arkansas but in America we are so dependent on those regional food systems food chains uh, and and for the sustainability of those so how do we support those kind of one-off mom and pop grocery stores 
Um, and, and how do we get local foods into those grocery stores in a way that is affordable both for consumers and for the producers and for the grocery store owners um, all around? And then more than that, how do we just make people knowledgeable about the fact that, um, you know, there is food that's grown in Arkansas that is never eaten in Arkansas because it gets exported. And some of the food we eat is all the results of imports and, and how those interplay not only to feed Arkansas, but the world. I can go on and on, but yes. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a soapbox that I get on too. And it's I love that you said too at the beginning um, when you were talking about how you're like, I don't really know what the solution is as far as, um, you know, solving the food desert issue and solving the, we have all this food. I think it's like Mm -hmm. something like we produce three times the amount of food Mm -hmm. that would feed the population of the entire world every day. Mm -hmm. So how is it that there's still people that are hungry? And Mm -hmm. it seems like there has to be a fix or something that's somewhat simple to do to connect those two um, missing links, but it's, it's not it's that a deeply, no, it's a deeply yeah. complex issue. And that even, it makes you think about like food, the influence food waste has on food insecurity. And it's crazy to compare those two things, right? Cause the idea is like, we're wasting food and there's not enough food, but it's a huge issue. Like we, we do produce all that food, but we also live in a society, um, where overindulgence is a huge thing where, um, food isn't cherished, where just there aren't enough conversations about how to eat responsibly and the influence that has on the food system as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, okay. So what is the biggest issue or um, struggle that you see for agriculture in Arkansas? There are so many issues I could talk about. I could go on and on for days. I think an issue everyone is feeling, but the agriculture industry in Arkansas is feeling right now is rising input cost, inflation. Um, and there isn't a uh, while costs rising input costs are rising you know there hasn't been an increase in prices in terms of the profits that farmers are making I think it's really easy to see a price at a grocery store and assume farmers are making a ton of money but people don't take into consideration the cost to get it from farm to fork um, and how much inflation impacts all of those costs so I think inflation the rising um, just cost of input goods for farms is really hard right now another issue that has become a larger conversation over the last couple of years um, generally in the agriculture industry is farmers' mental health. Um, it's really interesting because a farmer stereotypically probably isn't the kind of person who is really open to talk about their mental health. But, you know, when you think about things like rising input costs, um, you know, markets are shrinking in some areas, insurance premiums are higher. It's just harder to do your job as a farmer with the stability that makes life just a little more comfortable. Um, And farming already is an industry that, you know, market prices change all the time. Commodity prices change all the time. It is a risky business to be in. There just isn't a ton of security or stability. And so to work in a, in an industry, a a field, haha, punny, a field like that, um, I think it's really hard on your mental health on its own, but then to be a part of an industry that for years has been predominantly led by males. Um, these conversations just haven't happened. So I think mental health for farmers is a huge conversation that's happening. How do we get resources to farmers? Um, how do we have more honest conversations? And then more than that, how do we fix issues within the industry so that these barriers, these struggles they have um, can be issues that they can manage because they have resources or funding or programs that enable them to face those everyday industry issues with just a better sense of stability. Yeah. I love that you bring up those stressors. I, I wouldn't have even thought about that. So 
Yeah, it's crazy. I, I always say people ask me, they're like, you know, what, what's hard about farming or, or they'll ask me like, is it harder to be a, a cattle farmer or rancher or to, you know, live in row crop country? And I'm like, it's just the least stable industry. I think that's the best way to describe it because weather drought, like I was telling my sweet friend the other day, I was like, literally all it takes is one hailstorm and it can ruin an entire crop of corn, of, of rice, whatever. And it's not like you can turn around and fix it the next day. Like you lose an entire season of, of product and how that influences the entire food system is again, a whole nother conversation, but it's just that lack of stability can be really hard. And when prices continue to increase um, and when the stressors of doing your job continue to increase, but there isn't an, an output that is giving you stability to kind of compensate for that. It just makes your job hard. Um, and, and more than that, so many of these farms in Arkansas are, I think it's like 98% of farms in um, America are family owned and operated, which is something I love and cherish about the agriculture industry. But that increases just familial pressure of you're working with your family. For a lot of these farmers, they're second, third, fourth, fifth generation farmers where not only is the pressure to do the job, but it's to do the job in a way that upholds what their family has done for generations and how can they sustain it for the future. And um, it's just, I think it can be deceiving how hard of an industry it is to work in um, and the pressures that exist. But we have farmers and ranchers and producers all across Arkansas who do it with so much grace um, and really just meet our needs every day. So I give them so much props for the work that they do, even though it's such an unstable industry at times. That's such an interesting point that you bring up about like the generations um, in charge of, you know, different land. And I think to like my extended family who like has had like their little farmland for forever. And that's, oh, I mean, like you're working with your family. Yep. Like that is just mm-hmm. actually not. And good. also like a. Right. It, it's so hard and, and your work hours aren't the same, right? It's not a normal nine to five. The, the cows don't care what time it is. The weather doesn't care what time it is. They don't care. It doesn't care. Like agriculture makes no consideration for if you're on vacation or if you do need a mental health day or if you're sick, like none of those things stop the fact that crops are going to continue to grow and need work and animals are going to continue to need to be taken care of. And it just never stops. So those additional pressures, yeah, they can be really hard. And, and more than that, I think, I wish I could tell you the exact age, but the average age of the American farmers near retirement, I think at one point it was like 56, 58, maybe it's in the early sixties, but that is the average age of the farmer. And a lot of, you know, I think for years and years and years as a society, uh, at least for our generation, we were pushed to go to college, leave home, leave your rural towns, leave small town America, go to college, get a degree, get a better job. Um, and in doing all that, we pushed a lot of these rural farm kids out of their communities and into careers away from the family farm. And, and that's fine because for some people that probably was, um, you know, maybe they ended up in their dream career and, and that makes me so, so happy. But I think it created this generational gap where now farmers are older, they're nearing retirement. Um, and we have to have people who are ready to fill their shoes. And it's almost like we're missing a generation of those people. Um, so organizations like FFA, 4-H, um, have had this just new challenge to reinvigorate young people about the ag industry. That's why my platform, my community service initiative is, it's called Planting Seeds, the Importance of Agricultural Education. And I think at its most basic molecular level, it's just that people need to understand where their food comes from and how they can be a part of the food system because we need people to value it. We need them to value it as consumers, as voters, and then as industry leaders who are going to come back and be a part of 
the workforce in ag so that as these farmers and ranchers retire, we have people who are ready to to fill their space, whether it's because it's a, fam- a familial, you know, gen- passed down generation to generation farm, or if it's a new farmer, how can we support them um, as farmers do near retirement, which is scary. That's so true. I didn't think about that because, I mean, trade school in general, I feel like hasn't been like the trendy thing to do for the past couple decades and that's why like plumber and electrician and all of those trade um industry jobs their salaries are so high right now so high yeah I think we did a disservice to students by acting like the only kind of higher education was a college education um and so we've got work to do to to backtrack and make up for kind of that misconception we created and really just to add value back to those careers by telling students like it is just as let me tell you what you're probably going to need a plumber more often than you need an attorney so like (laughs) or yeah I'm just saying like every one of those careers or uh, a diesel mechanic or whatever like I could go on and on and on but every one of those careers are so valuable and if there's an individual who wants to be part of that career I think our number one priority in higher education should be to leverage them to do that and to experience success in whatever their profession of choice is. Um, and a lot of those trade schools are like deeply related to rural communities and, and to ag kids. And those are kids who have those kinds of skills. And so I personally, coming from small town America, valuing ag and ag education so deeply, just think it's really important that we elevate those students and give them the same support and honestly just cheer them on the same the same way that we do students who choose to attend um, a junior college or a four-year university. Yeah, I love that. So true. What is your favorite part about your CSI? My favorite part. So I love when I, I think the most important conversations are student conversations with really young students. So get like K through second grade. And I always ask students this question. I ask them, where does your food come from? And always I get Walmart, Harps, Kroger, wherever their local food retailer is. And then I'll say, well, how did it get there? And then I almost always hear crickets. Occasionally a kid will say like on a truck. And I'll say, where'd the truck get it? And then it really is crickets. Kids (laughs) just do not, cannot put together that their food came from a farm or that it came from a ranch. Um, and not just the fresh fruit, like the fresh produce that they buy or the raw meats that they buy, but quite literally everything you buy in a grocery store in some way is connected to a part of agriculture. And so starting that conversation and seeing that realization for kids is really, really cool. Um, rice is a huge commodity in the state of Arkansas. We produce nearly 50% of the world's rice in the state of Arkansas. It's one of my favorite things to brag about. It's our number one commodity. And, you know, uh, lots of rice is eaten across cultures and so many kinds of, and so many families. And um, it's a really inexpensive commodity um, for consumers to buy. And so I think it, it's eaten in a ton of households. And so I love to be like, who likes fried rice? Or, you know, just start a conversation about rice. And then to tell them like, did you know here in the state of Arkansas, we produce half of the world's rice. Think about the rice they eat in every country all across the world. We produce half of it. And it really just starts to mold their mindset, in my opinion, about the impact Arkansas ag has beyond rural communities, but into the whole world. Um, and to talk about how it's not just important to the farmers who grow it, but it's important to the kiddos just like you in, you know, the Middle East who eat it or in Asia who eat it or in Europe who eat it. And, 
um, North and South America, all the places. And it's just exciting for me to be able to start that conversation. Uh, I fully recognize I don't think I can teach a second grader in a 45 minute presentation uh, to fully understand a food system. But my hope is just that I plant those seeds where they start to have a consideration for ag's influence in the world that they live in. Um, so that's definitely my favorite part of getting to go talk to people, specifically talking to kids. With high school students, I love, just as we were saying, to start conversations about careers, mm -hmm. um, careers they can have in ag, the future of the ag industry, the way technology and you know science, technology, engineering, and math are going to play such a huge role in the agriculture industry. Um, and then with adults, man, I talk about being a smart voter. Uh, that's the one thing I consistently talk about, especially for Arkansas, because it plays such a huge role in our economy. Um, but, you know, right now we're looking to 2023, there will be a new farm bill. Um, farm bills usually last like five years. And the impact the farm bill has not only on the agriculture industry, but with SNAP um, and with assistant programs that have to do with food and, and just so many resources that people all across the country need. And starting conversations about how to be a voter who votes um, with a perspective of the fact that whoever they are electing needs to be fighting for the farm bill, needs to be fighting for legislation, fighting for regulation, which makes it easier for Arkansas farmers, ranchers, and producers to do their job um, and to do it well. Red tape is such an issue um, in this country, and I think it makes it really hard for farmers to do their job. Um, and so... I just like to encourage them to ask hard questions about, um, you know, the people we're voting for our congressmen and women. What are their perspectives on issues like the farm bill? How are they going to be involved in fighting for the needs of Arkansas farmers and ranchers? And, and do they even have an understanding of the way that things like the farm bill impact not only farmers and ranchers, but everyone in the state of Arkansas? Yeah, that's so true, especially with the farm bill. I mean, part of it is just getting more, um, accessibility and equitability mm -hmm. uh, that's not a word you know what I mean though <laughs> yeah <laughs> that benefits and part right. of that is fresh food which mm -hmm. um, benefits not only the farmers but also the people who are um, you know receiving SNAP so mm -hmm. um, and that's that's part of the farm bill which mm -hmm. really I mean those things should already be happening so right. um, I love that you're focusing on voting not just mm -hmm. you know here's the awareness and here's how kids can impact the future. But like right now, this is literally going on in our country. So yeah. like actionably, here's something you can be doing. Like call, call your people in DC, ask them what's going on with the farm bill. Like, are you considering X, Y, and Z? Tell them about real issues in your rural communities that have to do with food accessibility, with the production of food and you know, I think when I, the farm bill specifically, it can be kind of hard because it is passed for, you know, five years at a time that we think about it and then we don't think about it again for a long time. But lots of times those pieces of legislation that need to be kind of embedded into the farm bill take so long to, to get there. And, and people don't realize how often food is used as a leveraging tool and trade um, and, and just in every part of negotiations from across every industry. Um, internationally. And so I, I really like to try and open people's eyes to consider the tool that food and agriculture is um, and, and how we use it as a country and just making sure that the congressmen and women we elect see it the same, see it that same way, that they understand that the ag industry isn't something that's just happening in rural parts of the country, but that it's a tool that we use as a country and it's something that we're dependent on every day as consumers. And how do we leverage that to for everyone to be successful at the end of the day? Yeah, 
Love that. Okay. So our final question, what is your biggest piece of advice to someone wanting to get involved with agriculture, food security, all the things, awareness? Yeah. So I would say if you are a high school student, join FFA or 4-H. Um, they are just the best organization to get you plugged into leadership and opportunities to have hands-on experiences with ag. Um, if that isn't an opportunity for you, or like, let's say you're, you know, out of school, maybe you're in college or um, you're already in the workforce, there's always opportunities for you to expand your knowledge and education through um the extension services. So every county in the state of Arkansas has an extension service, extension workers who know what's happening um, in your ag industry, in the ag industry, in your communities. Um, and so if you want to just learn more about what ag in your community looks like, go stop and visit your extension service agent and have a conversation with them about what's going on, about the issues that your community is facing and about w- what you can do proactively to be a part of that. And then of course, you know, when we think about food insecurity, addressing those issues, um, be a part of the solution. So whether that is donating your time or your resources, um, making sure that you're making an effort to understand the issues and to create solutions that actually address those issues. So if an issue with accessibility, so let's say a community has a food bank, right? And it's full of food and that's amazing. But the issue is accessibility and there are people who can't afford to drive to the food bank. A real solution while donating is great, a better solution is donating your time and ability to drive food out to rural places and deliver it to create food systems um, that reach people. So I think it has to do with taking the intentionality to dive into the roots, the real roots of these issues um, and trying to be a part of the solution that way. So that would be my best piece of advice is, you know, I think to address a problem, you first have to dissect it. So dissect it in your community and then be a part of a solution that's actually going to address the root of the issue. Um, Anything you do to address food insecurity, obviously, like education, awareness, any kind of donation is obviously valued. But I think for real positive momentum to happen to create change when it comes to food insecurity, you have to dissect the issue and figure out um, what can we do differently? Because we've been doing the same thing for a long time. And we certainly have created some solutions, but we have not created the, the solution. So how can we create new solutions to address these issues we're still facing? Yeah. I mean, I love that you mentioned that too, because I mean, the amount of food banks that I've walked in to volunteer at that are stacked to the brim yeah. and we pack like a couple, maybe mm-hmm. 20, um, you know, um, boxes, orders. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, they, they can't get through all that food. And so, like you said, mm-hmm. donating is great, but mm-hmm. if there's not a way for if the, them- if, if, if you, maybe the issue is delivery, maybe the issue is, you know, you're giving microwavable meals to a family that doesn't have a microwave and that does no good. If they don't have a microwave um, it, or giving refrigerated items to a family who can't afford electricity to keep the items refrigerated or, Maybe it's a young kids in a household and they only have a grandparent and grandparent can't cook. So they're feeding themselves and they don't know how to cook the food that you give them. There are so many different fundamental issues that could exist that go beyond just the food existing in, in, in an area or the food being in their hand. Um, and that's why I say like, we well, have to take the time to dissect the real issue. And it sucks because it kind of is a case by case basis. Right. Um, but to, dissect the root of issues and and create solutions that aren't just more food but how do we make this food edible accessible and sustainable for families and communities yeah love that 
Love that so much. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. I feel um, a ton more educated on agriculture um, and honestly about food insecurity, which is, you know, my own CSI. So um, it's it's crazy how much they overlap. And I think I kind of knew that. Obviously, that's why I asked you to be on the podcast. Yeah. Today, but, uh, you know, listening to you talk, I mean, they are quite literally hand in hand. So Thank you so much for all of your amazing insight and I will see you guys next time. Bye, of course. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.